It was wonderful in, in the year of Brexit to discover that actually people as far away as Orkney up north or, or Jersey down south or Folkestone or Derry in Northern Ireland, they all laugh at the same things or moved by the, the same things. And that sense that the country is one to that extent was a good antidote. This is Seven Stages, a new podcast from the stage sponsored by Audible, and I'm Tim Bano. In each episode, I'm going to be asking the same seven questions to a dreamy roster of people who've lived their lives in theatre. The answer to each question is the name of a show, and we'll use those answers to talk about their life, on stage and off. We start at the beginning, what's the first show they ever saw, and we end at the end, what show would they happily watch in heaven forever? And we go anywhere and everywhere in between. So I'm just about to set off to meet my first guest, kicking off in style with a man who may well be the country's most iconic living actor, Sir Ian McKellen. I mean, where to start in introducing him? He's acted in pretty much every town, every theatre, almost every play that's ever been written. Activist for LGBT rights, fundraiser for theatre buildings and companies across the UK, six-time Olivier winner, knight, icon, legend, Gandalf. A couple of years ago, to celebrate his 80th birthday, he decided decided to set off on tour performing a one-man show about his life and some of his most famous roles. The idea was to tour 80 theatres across the UK, although he did a few more, and then 80 nights in the West End. And all the money from tickets went to the theatres he performed in, so they could fix their roofs or expand their outreach programme or do anything they needed to do with that bit of extra cash. Not only was it a fantastic show, but a stunning act of generosity too, and we named him number one in the annual Stage 100. So we thought, who better to start with than... Sir Ian. So we start simply with what was the first show you remember seeing? Well, it's a long time ago, uh, and I certainly remember seeing Peter Pan at the Palace Theatre in Manchester. We lived about 10 miles away in Wigan, Mm -hmm. a little mining town. And I'd be three or four, and I can remember the excitement of going and the excitement of getting ready for it, and me asking my mother, would it be a real crocodile? (laughs) Because she told me the story, and she said, well, we'd have to wait and see. And I was, of course, very interested in the flying. Unfortunately, I could see the wires, and that was a great disappointment. (laughs) But uh, we were left early, but to get the train back to uh, Wigan. Yeah. As we left, I can see now, I just turned as we were going through the side door in the uh, circle where we'd been sitting, and I looked back and the stage, the back cloth was all uh, little stars, <laughs> and it was just such a magical view. I was unhappy that we were leaving, but yeah. I sort of said to myself, I, I'm going to come back, I want more of this. Uh, so I think that must have been certainly the show that had the biggest impact on me. But, you know, I may have been to other things. Am- there'll be amateurs. Yeah. Like church. In those days, every organisation seemed to have its own little drama group. Schools, of course, some factories, uh, and mm. certainly our church uh, did, did plays in, in the church hall. Mm. And I may have seen some of those things, but uh, it's, it's doubtful at three that I would have seen. So let's say Peter Pan. But <laughs> pantomime became a, a regular a treat at Christmas time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, when we moved to Bolton, mm. um, 
quite close to Wigan and Manchester. Uh, there were three theatres there, and one of them put on a, an annual pantomime that ran for about eight weeks. Yeah. Sometimes some vaguely famous people I'd heard on the radio. <laughs> the other theatre, the Grand, uh, used to have pantomimes on for a week at a time. They were touring pantomimes. So I could see at Christmas, without moving from home, my hometown, I could see... <laughs> Six or seven pantomimes. So I got used to the format and loved it. And I think what I, I liked about it was that it, it was an entertainment you could see with your parents. Yeah. And then you were doing that in the company of other families. Uh, and it was that sense that um, I enjoyed as much as anything that was going on uh, on stage. Yeah. And, and pantomimes are, is a wonderful introduction to the theatre because there's so everything possible theatrical fits in doesn't it mm. and uh, you know rather complicated things like uh, cross-dressing and uh, and verse and, and, and audience participation and direct address to the audience all the sort of things which um, can seem quite radical but actually are at the heart of what makes theatre uh, unique yes. and, and it's all there in pantomime and all very available mm. and I think without it, we'd be a different country, really, and certainly we'd have a different sort of theatre. And when people wonder why why this little country has this theatrical uh, specialty, a pantomime, it, 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 you don't get it anywhere else. No. There's a little bit in Canada and Australia, but yeah. that's about it. Yeah. Um, but so it's ours, and yeah. and it's special. Uh, effortlessly special and, and everyone enjoys it and it's always changing too pantomime remains a big part of my life mm. I, I go I, I saw three this year I think. did you mm. oh mm. and of course famously performed in, in yeah, well I, I, yes I did make it into into <laughs> pantomime's dam yes at, at, at the old week for two weeks two years running interestingly as well it seems like your first a few of your first roles at school were cross-dressing roles there was, oh, well, uh, yes, it was an all-boys school, but yeah. a school for boys, mm-hmm. although there was a girls' division right next door. We weren't allowed to uh, look at each other, let alone act together, uh, which has changed now. Mm-hmm. But so, yes, uh, inevitably, one played uh, women's parts. <laughs> I, there was a quote from your website, which said, this is 1953, when you were in uh, Fry Bacon and Fry Bungie. Yes. I did not much take to being on travesty for the f- first of very few times with rolled up socks as boots. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was, that was awkward. <laughs> so the next question is, what was the first show you worked on? And as far as I can work out... You professionally? Well, either. I mean, it, it, as far as I can work out, as a, as a schoolboy, it was a play called Children's Day in 1950. Oh, I see. That's it was. But then, yes. professionally... Would that have been a man for seasons? Uh, yes, it was. Uh, the, the, the the first play I was ever in was one with my parents. Oddly, it it was a. <laughs> my grandfather used to run a holiday home, a Christian holiday home, for an organisation called Christian Endeavour, and uh, there were a number of large houses up and down the country, about 12 of them, where you could safely go as a, a teetotal Christian family mm-hmm. because in these homes uh, there was certainly no alcohol, there, were, there was grace before every, every communal meal, there mm-hmm. were outings together around the countryside. 
they put on a a show on, on the Thursday that I used to look forward to. Everyone had to get involved and we, you were in teams and you did little sketches and sang songs, which I got involved with. Mm. And there was a reunion uh, each year in Wigan for people who'd been to these uh, homes and uh, just exchanging little photographs and, mm. and memories. And that, that event, I would be not much older than when I was when I went to see Peter Pan. I was, I was in a little play that a little improving play about a group of uh, Quakers, I think they were, in uh, somewhere in, in uh, America, mm. who were having their uh, meeting, uh, which was interrupted by some savage locals, what we used to call Red Indians. And they came in to decapitate us, but were soon calmed by the presence of God. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. Uh, and uh, I played the child of my parents. It was a non-speaking part, and I had to wear a little Puritan's collar made out of an old Kellogg's cornflakes packet. <laughs> so that was the very first time, and, and um, it sets a pattern, really, for um, a lot of work. Mm. In, uh, with amateur companies and, yeah. and amateur acting has been a big part of my childhood and, and uh, uh, other people's adult uh, yeah. life. Uh, uh, so I, I became patron of the um, Little Theatre Guild which has a hundred theatres in the United Kingdom and, and was in touch with the sort of people I might have been part of had I not become a, a professional, yeah. although I've never really seen a, much of a difference between wanting to act unpaid and, and, and act mm. for a living. It's, yeah. uh, it's all the same sort of thing. Anyway, so there we are. Well, interesting. And, and then the first play, sorry, professionally, yeah. was at the, the Belgrade Theatre Commentary. I joined mm. the regular company of actors that stayed together for a year, and uh, we did a revival of, of uh, Robert Bolt's play. Mm. And there, there was a story on your, your website about this where this is your first performance of your debut and your your dad and your stepmom had driven down to see it. Mm. And after your first entrance, you'd nip back to the dressing room to borrow a ring which Douglas Livingston <laughs> had borrowed from you, from you to wear in one of his scenes. Douglas Livingston was playing the king, Henry VIII, and he didn't have any rings which he thought he should wear. But I did. I had one, <laughs> which I was going to wear myself. Yeah. So we shared my ring... <laughs> Uh, and uh, when I came off after my second performance, I was aware that Douglas had got the ring and it was now my turn to wear it. <coughs> Things we were bothering about. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. uh, I couldn't find it. And, and while I was looking for it, I heard over the tunnel, uh, Mr. McKellen, you're off. And I didn't really know what that meant off the stage. But as I raced down the steps to get to the stage, the actors were just coming off, having done my scene uh, without me. Professionals, you see, they just coped with the, getting on with the, yeah. <laughs> a problem. So, in my, on my very first performance ever, I was off. And Sheila Keith, the leading lady, took me to one side in the bar afterwards over a bottle of export ale and said, uh, well, professional actors are only off once in their career, Ian. Aren't you lucky to have got it over with so early? Wasn't that a nice thing for her to say? Yeah. And if only it had been true... <laughs> <laughs> well, 
it was maybe an inauspicious start to your professional career, but it mm. seemed to get better from there. Anyway. <laughs> so uh, the, ne- the third question is uh, an escalation in scale and a difficult one. What's your favourite show that you worked on? No, I couldn't really select. I, must be I, I've not counted up, but it's something... I think I've been in about 300 plays yeah. over the years, and only two... Of those jobs do I regret? One on stage and one on television. I won't say what they were. They, no. they just weren't happy occasions. But otherwise, whilst I've been doing it, uh, I think my favourite job has been the one that I was then doing because it was so absorbing. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't suppose there's a single play I've ever done that didn't teach me something about acting. Yeah, uh, and wasn't enjoyable for some reason or other whether the company was particularly delightful or the part was mm-hmm. or the reaction of the public or, or the director or something uh, but my favourite no I you know I, I feel if I were to say oh well obviously Macbeth with uh, the Royal Shakespeare with Judy Dench directed by Trevor and, that, <laughs> and an amazing cast but then I feel I would be betraying somehow um <laughs> Uh, the productions which at the time I enjoyed just as much yeah of course so I can't really answer that one no it's it's an impossible question uh, <laughs> have, you got, have you got a favourite a favourite show, show that I've seen hmm. I mean there are ones that I, I kind of I say when people ask I mean one that really stood out was a play called Mr Burns did you see this? no it was at the Almeida oh yeah and it was um by an American player at Anne Washburn and it was a play essentially based around The Simpsons on TV oh, right. um, but set in a kind of post-apocalyptic society where a nuclear event had wiped out a large part of the population and they had to rebuild society and part of that was rebuilding culture and so mm-hmm. they had so it was as if the apocalypse happened now it's kind of what culture would be remembered by the people who exist now mm. so instead of having acting Shakespeare troops they mm. had Simpsons troops ah. and they had Fraser troops and Friends oh, troops oh, and they had a barter in remembering lines from the Simpsons and stuff they would they would barter them and they recreate these live Simpsons episodes it was extraordinary just yes. the act of imagination yes. um, so that was one that really stuck out yes. me. but it yes. is impossible when you've performed in so many things and when I've seen you know I've not seen this nearly as much as you have but you do just it's impossible to pick something it out is, it is really well, in that sense, I mean, you know, just to mention a few kind of... But it's, I remember um, the critic of the Sunday Times of my youth, um, Harold Hobson, mm. would often say this is the finest piece of acting I've ever seen, yeah. or this is the most wonderful play uh, that's ever been written. And that's what he felt like when he came out of the theatre. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's why he was a popular critic, because yeah. many of us come out and say, that was sometimes the worst <laughs> thing of it all, the best. Exactly. And that's what it feels like at the time, and that's what yeah. keeps us going back to the, to the hope that it's going to be the best. Uh, but if it is the worst, um, probably not all the way through, and, and I can't really remember an evening in the theatre that I'd, when I felt I'd been wasting my time, and many, many times, of course, I've been buoyed up by the uh, experience. Well, as a critic, you're always chasing that high as well of... That was the yes. best night of my yes. of my theatre going life. Um, well, I mean, just to mention some iconic ones, you know, looking through your performances, there are so many. But Bent was a oh, Bent, major, yes. major production. Yes. Martin Sherman's play kind of 
horrific and extraordinary in equal measure and some amazing reviews for that as well and Amadeus you played it on Broadway for a yes. year I think yes. Sally oh well I mean those those both. these are it's just mentioning some, some I know and uh, done adjacently uh, next door to each other but I think mm. it's um so different the experiences yeah. that I wouldn't really be able to pick one from no, each other. No. Bent was an extraordinary time. It it was very popular with the with audiences who I think didn't know a few people did about the treatment ill treatment of gay people in the labour camps in yeah. the Third Reich and, and through the nineteen thirties in Germany. Uh, and although there have been some memoirs, um, most of people who'd been ill treated couldn't had they survived mm. the war, uh, then talk about it, because if they identified themselves as gay, they would be put back in prison. So mm. uh, it was a secret which this play revealed, mm. uh, and the effect on the audience was um, uh, pretty uh, overwhelming and a, a very cunningly, beautifully written play, yeah. which we did at the, the Royal Court. Uh, but we hired the Royal Court, or Eddie Kulakundis, our producer, did. Right. Uh, I don't think the court itself was particularly keen uh, on it, uh, but has ever since uh, claimed credit for it, <laughs> although we just hired their theatre and then That's moved it to the West End, yeah. where it didn't have very good reviews and never has had that place, but it's been success wherever it's been done with audiences. I remember Michael Redgrave coming round to see it uh, and wanting to stay talking into the night in the dress room and Alec Guinness, the same two great actors at the time. Mm. So that was an astonishing uh, sense that we were doing a play that had an importance beyond just itself. Yes. And um, it came off early because um, our producer in the West End was told by other members of... Society of West End Theatre that uh, it wasn't an appropriate play to have on in the West End during the summer holidays when children might inadvertently drop by a ticket. Mm. Uh, whoa, well, hasn't the world changed? And yeah. so I think probably of all the plays I've done, that's the one which has had the biggest resonance. And uh, for that time, I felt, oh, I was doing something more than just acting. I yeah. was being involved in the... Uh, changing the world a little bit um, so certainly for the people who came to see it yes absolutely, absolutely. the very special bent yes yeah and uh, by lucky chance I was in the first ever production mm. yeah and it and has become a kind of one of those uh, legendary moments in theatre history as well that that play and that and that production we revived um, we revived it 10 years after its first production so 79 this would be 89 mm. uh when the world was uh, much more familiar with the arguments for treating gay people <laughs> like everybody else. Yeah. Uh, and we revived it just for one night only to raise funds for Stonewall, a new mm. organisation that I'd helped to found. Uh, and we took the Adelphi on a Sunday night and Sean Mathias's idea, I think it had been, had directed it. Alex Jennings uh, played my uh, boyfriend. Uh, Michael Cashman played uh, the other leading part. Ray Fiennes was in the company, Richard E. Grant. Uh, and and uh, about a hundred uh, actors who came on as inmates of Dakar, mm. the 
Labour camp and they traipsed across the stage at one point. It, when I did it on stage, uh, 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 in the run, I used to have a wig to hide the fact that I'd shaved my head, which was kept for the second part of the play when I was in prison. But for this one performance only, I actually shaved my own head at the interval. Gosh. <laughs> you can only do that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, that production uh, was picked up by the National Theatre. That was a group of people just putting on a play for one performance to raise funds for a, yep. a political organisation. Mm. And uh, Richard Eyre invited us to the National, where it had a run, uh, and then went on after that mm. back into the West End. So the, there were two bent, uh, two bent productions, and, <laughs> and the difference between uh, its reception by uh, the world at large was uh, a sign that the world had changed, and we, yeah. we'd helped to change it. So yeah. Very important yeah, Fantastic. Yeah. Um, question four of seven is, again, a slightly unfair one for you because it's what are you working on at the moment, but I should hope that you're taking a well-deserved break. I am. I, I, I do know what I'm doing next. I'm going to do two plays uh, with, with a company, and I'm not going to say any more than that because <laughs> the actual announcement, which is rather delicate, uh, hasn't yet happened. Sure. But I've been working with old friends again and uh, back on stage, but at the moment, as we talk... The sun's out, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to feel I'm on holiday. I'm, I'm not working, but uh, yeah. But I look forward to working again. I was thinking today, why do you want to work anymore? Well, because I'm such an undisciplined person uh, and such a procrastinator, and I, I can waste a day very, very easily by doing nothing mm. productive. That the discipline of turning up to do a performance each night, uh, which of course rules the day mm. gives your life a meaningful purpose Most people... I think without that I'd just decline you know and, and of course I, I enjoy it more than anything else I can think of really. well most people at 80 would relish the opportunity to do nothing all day well they might and that crosses my mind wouldn't it be nice just to sit today uh, but when I wake up I realise I haven't been sitting I've just been snoozing <laughs> so um well, everyone's different, yes. But I've been in a job I've, I've relished doing. I've told you there's have been one job that I haven't uh, enjoyed. So why would I want to stop as long as I'm being uh, invited, you know? And this is after, just for the purposes of anyone who somehow might have missed it, this is after, how long was it, the tour and then the, and then the West End run of... Well, it was to celebrate my 80th birthday. I thought I'd do a, a one-person show. To 80 theatres initially, I thought all over the world, but then I realised there were nearly 80 theatres that I knew and had worked in or visited uh, as an audience mm. in the country. So I just stayed in the UK, all four countries, visited to more than 80 places. And then we did 80 performances uh, in London. That added up to well over 200, actually. Yeah. And, and, the, and we decided that the... the the money were raised would all go to theatre charities. I'd, I'd stay with the local theatre outside London or here, go to national theatre charities. So, most wonderful uh, year. The show was good. Uh, it it didn't take much effort to put it together. It was based on the experiences of doing other solo shows. And um, I thought I would be telling people things about the theatre 
it turned out I was reminding people about <laughs> things that they already knew and, and then theatre audiences share uh, that love for live theatre they have that in common mm -hmm. and so you can be sitting next to somebody who's of a different age or a different ethnicity and votes differently in the election but when you're in the theatre you become one and go out feeling better about the world and, yeah. and that that was <laughs> rather what the show was celebrating and uh, it was wonderful in, in the year of Brexit to discover that actually people as far away as Orkney up north or, or Jersey down south or Folkestone or Derry in Northern Ireland, they all laugh at the same things yeah. or moved by the, the same things and uh, uh, that sense that the country is one to that extent was a good antidote. Mm. And I think actually if a, a government or all of us were thinking how we could best um, encourage that sense of nationhood, which I suppose is what Brexit's been all about. Mm. We need to look no further than the theatre or live performance, and yeah. uh, the, all the theatres up and down the country are there, and they don't always have the entertainment in them that they ought to have. So it was very, very heartening to know theatre is live and well as long as there is theatre. Exactly. But there's nothing more depressing than an empty theatre or a theatre putting on shows that people don't want to see. And, or a oh. theatre that doesn't have the money to put on the shows or to upkeep. I know, I know. Building and... I know. So, question five. Yes. Was there a show that got away? So was there a... And this could be, the, you know, one you almost worked on but you missed the audition ah. or maybe just one you missed getting a ticket for or Mr. Train you didn't yes. make a performance oh well yes a number of those I've turned down a couple of films Prick Up Your Ears for example about right. um, Stephen Freer's film written by Alan Bennett they sat right here where we are now and tried to persuade me to do it I said no I've got to go on holiday having just done a long run at the National Theatre and yeah. and was off shortly to America yeah. uh, so I didn't do it and uh, I regret it because it was a wonderful film. But yeah. uh, beyond that, no, I, did, I, I used to think when I was uh, younger, I used to envy the careers of people I thought was just simply superior, like uh, Albert Finney and mm -hmm. Alan Bates and Tom Courtney, all of them involved in British film industry and the international uh, film industry but that wasn't for me uh, and so films came to me very late and I, at the time I wished that there'd been a bigger part of my life but then if they had been perhaps I wouldn't have done as much theatre which I have yeah. never regretted yeah. uh, so, well now things have gone away I didn't see Olivier's Othello how could I not do that? <laughs> it, was, it was available, it was there. I never saw Frank Sinatra. I always thought, oh, he's finished, he's over. I, I missed uh, Judy Garland, although I had a ticket f for her last oh uh, appearance in London. Uh, she, was, she was off the night I was in, going to go and see it. Yes, I, I've, I've missed, I, I missed George Formby, a great uh, comedian of my youth who came from Wigan, where, where I was living, mm. at Blackpool. Um, so now, I, if I hear someone's there, I, I think, oh, this may be my last chance. <laughs> plays that plays got away, mm, no. I, I regret I never played in uh, My Fair Lady. I was asked to, to play Professor Higgins for the uh, Scottish uh, Opera. Mm -hmm. 
but I was going to be surrounded by you know, people who really could sing, and I thought... Yeah, but Professor Higgins doesn't need to sing. <laughs> well, I think perhaps in that context he wouldn't need to, and I, uh, but there was only two weeks' rehearsal. Oh, God. And, you, and I'm thinking more recently I, I was asked to, to be involved in a pantomime I would really like to have done. Yeah. Uh, because of the, the theatre, but, it was at, but I, I said no because I didn't really have the time to yeah, prepare it properly. But on the whole, no. No regrets, really. There was that Judy Garland biopic. Did you see it? This, this yes, year? I did, yes. So you must have been in the audience of one of those performances. Well, I couldn't... I didn't, not, no, I had to ticket, but I didn't get in. Oh, OK. I, I, I rang up and she wasn't playing that Oh, so you didn't go? She was... So, I never saw her. OK, question six. We're almost there. So, if you have an empty space and an unlimited budget... What would you stage now? Oh, well, it wouldn't be one particular play. Well, if it had to be, I'd like it to be a new one. Mm. But if I had unlimited funds, I'd uh, give them to a theatre and uh, start a company of actors who would stay together for a year and do, as we used to do in what was called rep, rep, the repertory system, mm. Well, it wasn't strictly repertory. The, the players on the whole didn't um, weren't all played together. You just did two weeks of a play, then another two weeks of another one. Uh, but I've never met anyone who did rep who, who regrets it. Yeah. Uh, not only did they learn a great deal, but they, they also made friends for life mm. and, and uh, were thrown into the thick of what it is to get a play on. And... Um, it's a wonderful preparation for a career, if that's what you're looking to have. Yeah. And I feel sorry for actors now starting out who don't have that possibility. So if I had unlimited funds, it would be to... Start a repertory company. And, and pay them enough money to have decent digs. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure you've had your fair share of less than decent digs. Yes. <laughs> it's usually fun, because there's usually a friend there with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the final question then oh. what's the one show that you've seen that you'd happily watch on a loop for the rest of time well I find myself late at night when I turn the computer off thinking oh I'll just go into YouTube and have a look at Norman Evans Norman Evans was a stand up comic who did drag over the garden wall he played an old dame who chatting to a neighbour took his teeth out I would like to feel that Ken Dodd was still around and available uh, to just go and see him for his three, four-hour shows. I, I was lucky enough to see him not long before he died at the, the Arts Theatre in Cambridge. Uh, we were all there till quarter past midnight. <laughs> and he was, must have been in his 80s. That's why I like living in London or I have enjoyed living in New York. There's so much theatre going on that you you could go and see something different every night. and. Yeah. and but if there were to be one show always there, <laughs> if it weren't Phantom and they um, <laughs> miss, oh, it would it would be a, perhaps a, a music hall, a, um, the Palladium, that doing uh, regular performances by by uh, great stars who one could go and see. I think that would be the sort of thing I would. Proper variety. Uh, yes, variety. Yeah. And, but that is available on YouTube. And it's, yeah. my only regret is that, unfortunately, the first performers I... Famous performers, really talented performers I, I knew, weren't, weren't 
Uh, I just heard them on the radio because it was for television. Mm. And there isn't film much of it uh, available. I find it reassuring that you also... <laughs> that's, that's my habit before bedtime as well. It's just, I'll just watch another video on YouTube. Yes, yes, those sort of things. Um, Jackie Gleason, who doesn't, is not really known in this country because his TV shows weren't shown here, but there they all are. I think it's those sort of things. That sort of thing in the theatre would be wonderful. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much. Sir Ian McKellen, extraordinary man and makes a very nice cup of tea. As I mentioned, Seven Stages is sponsored by Audible, who, as well as their audio books, have an amazing range of audio theatre productions. One I really enjoyed recently is a play called Radio by award-winning writer Al Smith. It's directed by Josh Roach, who won the JMK Award in 2017, and it stars Olivier-nominated actor Adam Gillen. It's about Charlie Fairbanks, born in the dead centre of the United States at the dead centre of the 20th century. He's convinced he'll be the first person to go to the moon, but as he shines his spotlight on the moon, he illuminates the darker side to his nation's history. It's a really good play and you can get a free 30-day trial for Audible at audible.co.uk forward slash radio and then it's $7.99 a month after that and very well worth it. I'll be back in a fortnight with my next guest, the country's top lighting designer, Paulie Constable, who worked on Warhorse, Curious Incident and loads of other shows. As ever, there's reviews, news, interviews and plenty more at thestage.co.uk. Until then, thanks for listening.